This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. This is one of the big uh, ideas in the book is that there's basically two different kinds of work. We kind of talked about it a little bit before. There's the work, like you're driving to the scene of an accident and anticipating jumping out of the vehicle and tending to injured people. That's the work. And then there's the thinking about the work, which is, well, how do we uh, well, who, how do we structure a system which results in the closest vehicle? getting to the accident. Hi, welcome to EM Weekly, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe. This week, I'm at the Florida Emergency Preparedness Association 2020 annual meeting. And what a great group of uh, people to, to be working with and, and to be hanging out with. And you know, that's one of the things about emergency management that I love is that we are definitely a collaborative, uh, group of people and coming out here to other states and learning what they're doing uh, is really important. So if you're an emergency manager, I, I really say go to other people's conferences if you can and just check out to see what they're doing. You know, um, it's a little bit different than doing something like an IEM, um, but it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So I'm happy I'm doing it. You know, it is amazing when you get out and you get to see and, and, and see what they're doing because it just gives you a different perspective. You may have noticed lately that we've had some special episodes that are coming up and this is something that i'm going to be doing uh, on a regular basis uh for this year just when things come up and breaking news and things like this we'll do some special episodes please stand by for those as well and uh, i think that uh, you know we'll be able to communicate a little bit better this way well this week we're talking to david marquet about leadership as language this is a new book that he has out it's out right now uh, so go to amazon pick it up and it's a really great um topic, you know, as far as what does it mean to be a leader and what words do we use to project what we want to have and how do people hear us. And it's a really interesting way they've uh, these come about this. And I think that uh, you will really enjoy this interview. Now on to the interview. David, welcome back to uh, EM Weekly. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me back on EM Weekly. So, Take a look at your new book that you have coming out, Leadership is Language. And that's an interesting title. And, and reading through it, it, it really does go to the fact that we really need to understand what we're, what we're saying and what it means and what it means to the people that are receiving that message. What made you write this particular book? So as uh, we went out, we started working with all these companies after my first book came out and that was awesome and i i kept going kind of back to square one which is the words that we use and i could see how the words that they were using were holding them back in the old way of doing business and some of these things are pretty innocuous like we chuckle when we say oh a cc on an email but there's no actual carbon being used and, and that kind of thing but we have all hands meetings and and other things, but more importantly, what I saw was 
a set of interactions, and I started calling them plays. But but there were a set of interactions that we just seemed like we were just almost programmed to. You you tell me you think I'm wrong. I defend why I defend my position. I'm not curious about why you might think that. At least that's my instinct, and that's what I would see a lot of people doing. And so what I think is we've been programmed for these six plays from the Industrial Revolution, and what we need is to reprogram our own playbook. So, And it's through language. Like if you're an EMT, you interact with your hands, you interact with the patient, you, you have to carry them, you have to put in an ID, you have to state with you know, there's stuff that happens with your hands. You, you talk to them too sometimes. So there's words, but there's also hands. And so a lot of our work, you're an air conditioning technician. It's like you put your hands on the machine. But leadership, there's no hands part. Hmm. It's just language. And when it comes to leadership, all our interactions with other people are with the words that we say or the words that we write. And how they respond to us. So for me, leadership exists in a sort of unique place where it's only language. And uh, so the idea was, hey, what, what are the plays? I'll give you an example. Obey the clock. The old play was obey the clock. That's why we have um, clock terms like clockwork. We clock in and uh, we pay people by the, by the hour. These are all vestiges of this idea that we obey the clock. And now what I think we need, if we want people to do cognitive work, is control the clock. So this is one of the main ideas in the book is these, like, instead of obey the clock, control the clock, and what, there's five more of them. So, I mean, going back to your original book, the um, Turn the Ship Around, you, you, you made a subtle change. And it, it seems subtle to those that, that aren't in the military, specifically not, not in the Navy, from uh, to, I, to I intend to from may I and yeah and and, and you tell people this and, and people that haven't served you go okay so what's the big deal and I'm like it's a huge huge deal you have to understand this <laughs> you know? and, and but it makes a difference so did that was that part of your your th- thought process when you're writing this book going wow I made this subtle change or made this huge change realistically in language and it made a huge difference in that ship yeah yeah, exactly. I mean, over, I can give you multiple stories. For example, we we said uh, no one's allowed to refer to anybody else on the submarine using the word they. We we love to say they, the supply department, they, engineering, they, they the officers, they, the enlisted guys. Yeah, like, there were all these segmented days. So, you know, you got to use the word we. And people said, oh, okay. And uh, the deal was, if you came to me and said they ordered the wrong part and you were talking about supply, I would just wouldn't reply to you. I just would ignore you until you said we we ordered the wrong part. And what happens is, as a result of using that language, six months later, it felt like we. It felt like a team. And every, anywhere you went on the submarine, it felt like we were one big team. It felt like a we. But it all started with the language. And uh, so there are multiple examples. I, the most powerful one, I think, was the one you talked about, where we went from a language of permission, request permission to, may I, here's what I'd like to do. And, and, and what happens there is, if there's no response, the answer is no. So, so, so the question is, what is the, default, what is the default outcome? So if we say yes, yes, no, no, nothing, waiting. Default outcome is stagnation. 
And when you say, so we said, well, intent's a magic word. If you say intent, that means you already have permission. I intend to submerge the ship. I intend to change the pricing on this product, whatever it happens to be. And now, what's the default response? Default response is action. I intend to, tomorrow, I intend to launch the new product. No response from the boss, action. We launch the product. Action creates ownership. Ownership creates responsibility. So uh, over and over again, I've seen these tiny, tiny uh, changes. I'll give you another example. I was with a tech guy. They're rolling out new software where you scan a barcode at the baseball stadium and you can order uh, soft drinks and beers and that kind of thing just, just based on, on that via text. And this was the, the initial rollout. We were up in Philly, Philly, uh, Philly Stadium. And uh, we were at lunch, so the game, st- game starts at 5 o'clock. We're at lunch. The team is doing the last-minute thing. And he gets a text that says, hey, you know, we're having some trouble with the interface with this other company software. So he calls the project leader who has a rep- reputation of being uh, a kick-ass person in tech field. He says, hey, do you need me to come over? Like, t- you, you tell me if you need me to come over. And she says, no, no, we're, we're good. And so he hangs up and we pick up the menu. And then I said, well, try this. Call her back and say, how helpful would it be if I came over? One to five. He calls her back. What the answer is? She says five. Mm-hmm. So we threw the menus down, threw a $10 bill, <laughs> walked out, got an Uber to the stadium, which was like five minutes away. But the question is, like, why is it when you phrase the question one one way, there's no movement. We stay in the restaurant, keep eating, and the CEO doesn't go to the stadium. But you phrase it a different way, it's a totally different outcome. Right. And so I, I've sort of built up this um, library, a, a more helpful outcome, I would argue. So, so she felt okay saying, yeah, it would be five on a scale of how helpful would it be but she, she didn't feel okay saying, no, I, I, I need you to come over. So, all, uh, so the book is full of these little don't say that, say this nuances, which collectively allow people to express what they're really thinking, not, not what we want them or wish they were thinking. Right. And I think that sometimes that, that we do that. We project what we hope that they say. And then we don't get that answer. We kind of don't really, you know, pursue it even more because we figure, okay, that was a no. Yeah, exactly. And and all the, so one of the, one of the things we do for that is we have, I call them binary self-affirming questions, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh yeah. It makes sense. Like, so the question should be what's unclear. Not does that make sense? Or what am I, what, uh, what should I explain more or what doesn't make, what doesn't make sense? In other words, make the easy path the no, there's more to be said or no, I don't agree or no, I don't think that's right. Rather than just sort of these little, um, tricks of language where the, the play is called coercion. In the industrial age, one group of people were the deciders and the other group was the doers. We had deciders and doers, leaders and followers, management and workers. Uh, and 
And the problem was if the people doing the work are not deciding the work, then fundamentally the deciders have to get the people doing the work to do what they decided to do. So we have to coerce them into doing it. And so there's a lot of language. There's little language cues that we go through to nudge and coerce people into just doing what we want them to do as opposed to letting them truly choose and or express what they think. So what we need now is the doers, we want them also to be deciders. But they're not always just in decision mode because then you never do the work. So right. like work, 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 pause. Okay, how, how can we improve improve the process? But it's those, those them, the, the doers, people doing the work are, are in that process. There's a disaster response organization called Fit Field Innovation Team. And uh, it's led by this uh, really high energetic uh, CEO slash founder. Her name is Desi. Um, and I've had her on the show. And, and interesting thing, she changed the idea of a think tank to, she calls it her do tanks. And so she goes around, mm-hmm. she runs these workshops, these boot camps, she calls them. Um, and, and where she gets thinkers of emergency management uh, into the room, they think things out, but then they have to do them. And so it's not just like this, this you know, high level thinking. Oh, this is what could happen in theory. They actually have to put that into practice. And I think what you're doing here with leadership as language is is really kind of putting kind of what she's doing, uh, you know, in this weird way uh, into the book and on, on paper without even like even having that synergy between each other. So it's kind of cool. I, I love that change. What do you think of that? Yeah. I, so exactly. There's two pro- you can have two different problems. One is that the people doing the work are never brought out of the work and then he's like, let's step on the other side of the street. Now let's look back and imagine us picture us doing the work. What do we think about it? How how can we make it better? So you need to get the people doing the work to step out of it and think about the work, but you also need to get the people thinking about the work to actually do the work. Cause it's great to sit over here and have all these ideas for someone else to do and then go realize, Oh, the truck is designed in a certain way. I can't reach that from standing here. I need to walk around the other side of the truck. So that idea is not going to work. And so that's why we need. Um, so, so the old way was one group of people did thinking forever. The other people uh, uh, did doing forever. And now what we need is everybody to do think doing for a while and then thinking for a while or, and so like that rhythm, that's the key now is what is that rhythm? Because if you take everyone out of doing and have them do thinking too frequently, it's disruptive and we don't get enough doing done. Mm-hmm. But if we never do pause for the doing, then we end up with uh, things like Blockbuster or Kodak or Thomas Cook. And we just like continue doing the same thing, but the world around us changes and we, we missed it. So we need to pause and control the clock and step out of it, the doing and look back at ourselves. And that, that requires us to have a degree of, um, of, uh, uh, of letting go of trying to defend how good we were, because now we're going to, now we're going to say to ourselves, you know what? We could have been better. And that's hard for a lot of people. Uh, I could have done that better, but if you don't have that, it, the, one of the benefits of separating the people is you get people like I get to judge you, so that's easy. It's like no, you have to judge yourself. Right. Oh, really? Hmm. Let me think about that. Jeez. And yeah, no one likes doing those self evaluations, right? They, they always kind of 
kind of weird, right? Right. Yeah. So I call that. So I think we have this competition. We have the be good self. The be good self is the one that's defensive, but, but the, the be good self wants to feel like they're valuable in the world. Like I, I earned my place. I helped people. I did this, but the be good self is in competition with the get better self. The get better self is the part of you that says, Oh, I can do better. Which, which means if you can do better in the future, it means you didn't do as good in the past. And, 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 and so the, 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 the get better self takes aim straight at the heart of the be good self. And if we go to these meetings and say, well, let's improve the process, but everybody's stuck in their be good self. Everyone's going to defend, oh, well, everybody tried their, it sounds like this. Well, we all did our best. We all tried our best. Or, or John here really is doing some really good thinking about, like you have these, waste of time things that we say and then we say but i could really think blah 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 and 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 that's because we're trying to pay homage to the be good self but in truly healthy organizations we don't waste time with that we just say, okay yeah how can we do how can we be better and uh we we let the the, the get better self the get better self is inviting feedback and the be good self kind of like shies away from feedback. So you want to make it safe, safe to invoke the be. It's all about safety, psychological safety. The, the get better self will not will not come out of hiding unless uh, unless it's safe to. We're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about words that we used in our military evaluations and and, and how they could be damaging. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you all for listening to our sponsors, and please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here on Ian Weekly, because without them, we could not bring you these programs. So before we went on the break, I, I kind of alluded to the military uh, evaluations and, and some of the words that we would put into evaluations that sounded nice, but could actually be damaging to uh, specifically promotion is the word has potential. <laughs> and and it, <laughs> why do we do that to, instead of, instead of making the people meet their potential, why do we put that in their, in their fit reps? Yeah, probably laziness. It, it's every, like my experience, everyone is so busy. I can't tell you how many bosses, well, just write your own evaluation and I'll just tweak it or whatever. And I end up writing my own evaluation. I, when I left the Navy, my final event would have been my final fit ref in the Navy. I never got one. Never. And you know why? It's because I didn't write my own. I was a deputy. I was a deputy in an organization and I didn't have this specific conversation with my boss, but I, and, and I didn't believe in that. So I was writing everyone else's fitness report. It's the right thing to do. And, um, but I didn't, I wasn't going to write my own. I thought that was nonsense. And of course my boss, right. my boss didn't, there's different ways. Yeah. Basically just didn't care enough to take the time to write my final. So my Navy career ended and I received no final fitness report. 
So, and to put this in perspective for everybody out there, so David was a captain, a full bird captain, if you, you know, the captain of the ship. Yeah. So his boss. Not an Air be, Force. Wait, it was <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not a. It's always explain explaining ranks to people sometimes yeah, kind of cracks me yeah. up because you go, oh, captain, and yeah. uh, I'll tell you a quick captain story that you'll enjoy. So. um uh, we're we're playing softball as a, a corpsman server of the Marine Corps, and uh, uh, you know we're like one of the guys comes over, hey everybody, we got to be you know be careful because Captain Such and Such is coming, and one guy's like ah screw Captain Such and Such, yeah, and they turn around and they go no no not one of our captains a Navy captain they're like oh crap okay yeah we got to get this place you know pleased up, <laughs> kind of a different feeling for right. for the rank, but so that means your boss was a, at least a, a one star or. Yeah, it was either one or two stars at that point. I can't remember. But yeah, he had his own. He had his own yeoman. He could have told the guy. A- anyway, the bottom line is, they just this is not. <laughs> uh, this is not. It's common behavior. Um, to outsource one of the most important things there is, at least for my Navy career, over and over again, write your own evaluation. I just thought it was really atrocious. So when when we're writing evaluations, you know, or, or when we're talking to people about their performance, why are we? I don't say afraid. That's not the word I'm looking for. But why why are we reluctant to use either if they suck? Why don't we just tell yeah. them that? Or you know, and and if they suck, is it our fault as leaders, or is it their fault as as employees? Yeah. So here's here. So there's a bunch bunch of problems. The first problem is you're trying to do two mutually incompatible things with that one evaluation it's the evaluate the purpose of the evaluation the written evaluation is not to make you a better person it's there's only one purpose in my mind it's to send a signal to the system whoever's going to select who gets promoted help them choose who, who gets promoted that's the purpose of writing those evaluations but we try and say, oh, and this is when this is your feedback session, and this is how you're going to get better. It's total nonsense. Do the feedback sessions separately. I would do them much more frequently than once a year. And then when that evaluation comes out, it's just a piece of paper and says, here's what I'm trying to do. I really want to get you promoted. In which case, we're gonna we're gonna write the most positive thing I can about you. It's not about representing your behavior and what you can do better it has nothing to do with that and people get confused they're like oh i'm going to try and do two things i'm going to say no you just that's wrong in my mind and uh so 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 it doesn't work well either as a signal to where i'm going to promote you or you just say look i i don't think you should ever be promoted i had one of these guys and like so your your evaluation is is going to send a clear signal to the organization that this is a guy who, at least in this one person's mind, should never be promoted. But what about this other stuff that I did? So it doesn't matter. I'm trying to send a signal to the organization. Now, if, if you're interested in getting better, I, I'll work with you on that. But it's not it, It's not going to be in this document. This document is not going to help you with that. So I think that's one of the big problems we have. Right. So getting back into the into what we're talking about here with leadership is language. Can you talk a little bit about your concepts of uh, red work versus blue work? Yeah, so this is one of the big uh, ideas in the book, is that there are basically two different kinds of work. And we kind of talked about it a little bit before. There's the work, like you're 
driving to the scene of an accident and anticipating jumping out of the vehicle and tending to injured people. That's the work. And then there's the thinking about the work, which is, well, how do we, uh, well, who, how do we structure a system which results in the closest vehicle getting to the accident? Or when we come up on the accident scene, what's, what are the, what, what, what are the first 10 seconds look like? Uh, how do we protect ourselves from the traffic as well as get quickly to, uh, to the patient? And uh, so that's thinking about the work. So we, we call the work itself, we're calling it red work because it's, it's focused. It's, it's getting stuff done. It's, and, and, and versus blue work, which is thinking about getting stuff done. And so red work is about proving and performing and blue work is about improving and learning. But again, you need both. You need the rhythm of going back and forth. And so we just think this is a convenient language to say. So at work here, we now say, okay, this is this is a blue work meeting. Blue work t- t- tends to be meetings. If you're in a meeting, it's typically blue work. And there's generally not a lot of work done in meetings. But again, the blue work only exists to serve the red work. If we're not making the red work better, then we're off track on our on our on our blue work. Blue work is about embracing variability. Red work is about reducing variability. This is why we need two different languages for red work and blue work. So how, how would somebody implement that, say, in a large scale, say, like FEMA or a large scale, like emergency management organization like, uh, you know, say, New York City or something? Yeah. I mean, how, do, how, do we, how do we practical that? So I, I, I would just start with... Um, the conversations that you have and the questions, the way we ask questions uh, is a good place to start controlling the clock versus obeying the clock. So in other words, if you're in, um, you come up to a scene, multiple casualties, I, I, I would say it's three cars with multiple people, serious accidents. And everyone's jumping out of the vehicle and everyone starts goes launches into doing mode. They're triaging and stabilizing patients. And at some point, so so they're obeying the clock because they feel a relentless sense of every second counts. And at some point, the leader might say, All right, time out, let me get everyone's attention for one second. Give me status update. And so we align the whole team. I got three people here, two people there, four people there. What how and then, and then, well, what do we think? What's the priority? Who needs to go first? Here's, here comes the chopper. Who's going first? And only by controlling the, the clock and then getting the team, giving the team space to think, because you, now you're in decision mode, which we call blue work. Who goes first in the chopper? And, and uh, it can happen very quickly. And you can use symbols, like you can say, uh, you guys probably already have something for this, because it's, I'm, I'm guessing it happens a lot, but if, the idea would be, uh, another thing is, uh, don't ask a binary question, like, do you think that person should go? It's like, how strongly do you think the person should go? Okay, well, you have another guy. Well, how strongly do you think she should go? Like, five out of five, they're going to die in the next 30 seconds, so they don't get in the chamber. Okay, what about you? Four out of five. So... Versus like, should they go? Yes. Should they go? Yes. Now you're stuck. Now you have to still go to part two. So we ask a question uh, with, we start the question with how or what, 
and we avoid the binary question because you learn more. You don't learn anything in a binary question. Should we, should we evacuate this person? Yes. I didn't learn anything. Like, well, how critical is it? How many seconds do they have? See, both those questions started with the word how. Now I'm learning something. So I would just retool the language. I would, I would write a playbook for the words that we would use, and I would think about the words, or just tape, audio tape. Well, here are the words that we use now. Can we just tweak them just a little bit and have a better outcome? So you're sitting in an emergency operations center. There's a large-scale fire going on like we just had over here in Los Angeles yeah. uh, a few days ago. Yeah. And you're making a decision whether to evacuate or not evacuate a complete neighborhood. You're talking impacting thousands of people's lives. Right. So, you, you, I mean, you need to have a clear understanding of, of what's going on with that particular fire, the movement of it, what's going on with that. Right. What kind of questions do you ask at that point? And, and using your concepts of blue work, red work. So uh, it, it's a problem of pushing information to authority because the authority sits in the emergency operating op center, I'm, I'm guessing, for deciding on the evacuation. But the information, I mean, you, we're doing pretty good. I mean, you can send drones. You can see where the fire line is. You can measure speed of advance, wind speed, that kind of thing. But you probably want... There's probably a police chief or someone standing there like 300 yards from the fire watching houses go pop, pop, pop. And you want to be able to, to, to tap into the, what that person's gut feel is that they're like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my 25 years. We got to get out of here. Like you want to hear that in their voice. So I would say like, how bad is it? Kind of thing. I, I wouldn't ask, should we evacuate or not? Because that's a binary question. Like, how important is evacuation? How strongly do you feel about evacuation? Because let them say, should we evacuate or not? Yes, no. Again, you didn't learn anything. Uh, because 51%, is it evacuate? Eh, yeah, sure. Is it a 51% evacuate or is it 99% evacuate? How strongly do you feel about evacuation? One to five. When we're, when we're on scene, we use our hands. You say zero to five. How strongly do you feel about evacuation? Everyone puts up a five. Great. How safe is it to go into this building? Four people put up a five. One person puts up a four or a three. So we look at the person with a three. What are you seeing? That's making. That's causing you to vote three. There's some blue flame coming out of that back window. That scares me. Oh, we didn't see that. Great. Now we. Now let's. Now you're going to make the decision again. But if you just said, should we go in the building or not? Everyone goes like, yeah, sure, let's go. You didn't learn that. Right. You got to ask some good stuff. To yeah, you got to ask the question in a way that makes it easy for people to si signal the information that they have to you. Later, we say, "Oh, but you didn't tell me." And he's like, "No, that's on you. You're the leader. You asked the question wrong. You asked a binary. You asked a dumb question. You got the answer <laughs> you expected. You didn't learn anything." <laughs> <laughs> so, so all the lessons that we learned in life, there are no dumb questions. Yeah, there are dumb. Uh, yes, well, there are. It's hard, yeah. there, there, some questions are definitely better than others. That's for for sure. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. So, how could how can somebody find uh, find you more information about what you're doing yeah. and uh, when and about your book coming out? Yeah, so leadership book called Leadership is Language. 
Uh, it's coming out in February. You can order it up, up on Amazon now. You can order it at other online sellers. And uh, But we're starting to put out some of the ideas in what we call our leadership nudges, which are these little one-minute videos that we put out. So I think it was like three weeks ago, the nudge was about red work, blue work. This little animated skit, about three minutes long, talks about the difference between the doing work and the thinking work and, and why we need everyone Instead of having doers and thinkers, we need people who spend a moment of time thinking and then spend some time doing. Uh, leader, it's a YouTube channel. Where would they leader find those videos? Oh, YouTube channels. Okay, and then we'll make sure that those links are down in the uh, in the show notes um, as well. Yeah. All right. So before I let you go, what's one thing that you would say to all of the emergency managers in the world? Hey, thanks for what you do. I mean, it's. It, it's hard to understand the impact that that we have because uh, we, uh, you, the emergency managers, you get a call, you show up, and you save someone's life. And so that's clear. Oh, that, I had impact. I'd go home feeling like I mattered. I'd save somebody's life. That's great. But there's this... Uh, subtle impact that extends way, 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 way beyond that in my mind. The fact that we get in our car, and I guess I'm thinking a lot about cars, but we get in our cars, we get on our bicycles. I'm a cyclist, so I'm on the road riding, uh, sometimes with a group, sometimes by myself. And the reason you do that is because, like, part of the calculus is I'm hoping not to get in an accident, but if I am in an accident, I know EMT is going to be there. That's part of the calculus. So so even a day, let's imagine some beautiful day where we never have to leave the the shed. (laughs) Just the fact that we were ready to meant all those people got in their cars and or their bikes, or their skateboard, whatever it was, and went to do whatever they needed to do, and connect, connect with other human beings in person. And we were part of that. I think it's part of what makes society work. So it's, it's really important. And, and we, don't, we don't get thanked. You guys don't get thanked enough, I don't think, for, for the hard work that you do. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of EM Weekly. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. And also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you're looking for more information and more emergency management type podcast, check out sitchradio.com because there's a full laundry list over there. See you next week.